Welcome to this uh, Labor Day weekend Sunday, last Sunday of summer. Um, and I thought this morning as, as, a, as a labor of love to you on this Labor Day weekend, I would, since Keith never lets me play on the worship team, I would uh, do a uh, box drum solo. Actually, not really. I know my wife was freaking out, and I see some of you just like, in horror that I would think of that. Actually, what this box drum is, um, John Idias has, has, has led worship here, helped to lead worship here for the last 11 years. And um, him and Anita have been processing that and just feel like that God is calling them to take a season to step back from that. And so, so we just want to honor, John, where are you at? Would you come up um, and, and receive this? Because I'm sure that you can play this, well, no, I'm not sure. I know you can play this thing way better than I can. But, John, thank you so much for your many years of, of service, uh, of leading worship well, of making that drive up here uh, from Sugar Creek every Thursday night and every Sunday morning to help us, to lead us in worship. And, and we really appreciate it. So thank you very much, John. As you think about labor, you know, we really couldn't do what we do here without our volunteers, and, and volunteering is such an important part. It's, it's not just for the good of the church, but it's for the good of us as individuals that we give of our gifts and abilities to, to honor and glorify God um, here in this place. And so to all of you, thank you for the work that you do. We are in this uh, Hebrew series. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. Um, looking at, at that text, verses 1 through 12. Uh, you know, being a grandpa is, is, is an amazing experience. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of uh, being a grandpa, but, but boy, is it fun. And, you know, and I remember on October 16th of 2017, uh, when Verda and I got to go up to, to Orville Hospital and, and meet Lillian Grace our little granddaughter, and she was this little six-pound bundle of, of beauty. And, but, you know, Lily has continued to grow, and, and, and so as she grew, you know, we saw her begin to smile, and, and then we saw her begin to sit up and crawl, and, and soon she will be walking. And, and Lily continues to grow and become more beautiful, and, and, and we just keep loving her more and more, and um, whether you're the parent of a, of a newborn or a grandparent or a great-grandparent that we have here this morning, watching children grow is an incredible um, blessing. And sometimes I hear people say, I just wish they wouldn't grow up. Well, you know, if Lillian would be the same today, as she was the day I met her in the hospital, if she would still just lay there and not smile and not scream and, 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 and all of those things, we would think, we would know there's something wrong. And we would go, we would diagnose the problem and, and do whatever we could to help her to grow. Because we don't want our children or our grandchildren to, to stop growing. We want them to grow up and 
become young men and women who, who make a difference in the world. And I think the author here in Hebrews was, was concerned about the growth of, of the believers that were in their church. And, and, and the problem was they weren't growing. And, and you know, Keith did a really good job last week of talking to us about uh, the dangers of spiritual immaturity. And so the author, beginning in chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 20, addresses this, this um, serious issue of, of immaturity. And, and so last week, he talks about, about milk and meat and the importance and the necessity for us to, to be eating meat. And then here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Now, because of this whole thing that we addressed of the milk and the meat, that you should be drinking, eating meat and, and not just milk, he says, Therefore... He said, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death or of faith in God, instruction about baptisms and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. so. So what the author says is, look, it seems to be, you know, so, so, he seems to say, look, in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, you need to be taught the basics again. But, but then he says, look, you need, he, you need to lay a foundation in chapter, um, you should not lay a foundation again in chapter, in verse 1. He says, so, so it doesn't, what does he want? You know, does, does, he, does he want them to lay a foundation and, and know the basics again? Or, or does he want them to move on to maturity? What's the difference? I think what the author is addressing here is, is they're losing sight of the basics of Christ. And, and they're beginning to occupy themselves with, with the Old Testament and Jewish truth. And so the, and these were, the author used these Old Testament truths to introduce them to Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is is the fulfillment of the Old Testament um, prophets and priests and rituals. And so, so they used those Old Testament truths to introduce them to Jesus. But they were beginning to occupy themselves um, with those Old Testament truths that were used as a foundation for presenting an understanding of Christ. And the writer doesn't want them to go back there like they had been before. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We must pay more careful attention there to, for, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And so, so what he's saying, look, I don't want you to drift away. I don't want you to go back to those old truths. We use those to, to help you understand who Jesus was. But, but don't go back there to those old beliefs and those old rituals in the Old Testament. Christ is the goal and the fulfillment of these things. They need to learn how to take the milk, the basic truths of the gospel, and put them into practice. The problem wasn't a lack of foundational knowledge, but a lack of fruitfulness, a lack of what they were doing with that knowledge. And what am I doing with that knowledge? 
as a believer. And then he says, and God permitting, we will do so. I like how he says we. He says, look, we're in this together. He says, look, God willing, God permitting, we're going to do that. We're going to focus. We're going to move ahead. We're going to get away from the elementary teachings, and we're going to mature together as followers of Christ. So we're going to get there together. Now, it's interesting, he says, God permitting. What, what, what is he talking about? Well, what he's saying is, while spiritual growth is our responsibility, and it requires our effort, beneath this whole process, God is working. I have the responsibility to grow myself. And I should regularly be in the Word of God. You shouldn't just hear the Word of God on Sunday mornings when we're up here preaching or, or when you're in ABF. It is, you need a daily diet of God's Word if you're going to grow. So spiritual growth is my responsibility. But, but God is working in the whole process. It says, Paul says it well in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Then he says, for God is working in you, giving you desire and the power to do what pleases him. So, so Paul says, you need to work hard, but God is working as you are working hard. The two are necessary for our growth. So we must work. Growing spiritually requires effort. And I can guarantee you, you're not growing spiritually if, if, you're, if your Bible reading and your prayer life is hit and miss. If, if this week I'm okay or, or today I'm okay and, and then three weeks I go without and, and, and my, um, my spiritual input is erratic, it's, 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 it's inconsistent, you're not going to grow spiritually. You're just not. You can't just download it into your mind and into your heart so that it changes you. You have to be diligent in working. As Paul said, work hard to show the results of your salvation. And if you're not making a deliberate effort to discipline yourself in godliness, then you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're not just standing still. You're not just floating here. You're either growing or you're shrinking. You're either growing closer to God or you're drifting further away. You don't ever just sit on this even plane. You're moving one way or the other, and so you must work hard as God is working in you. He says, you need to be mature. I think it's what Paul is, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And then he goes on in verse 4, and, and he warns them about falling away. And, and what I wonder is, is, is the author saying that, look, you need to be maturing, 
And if you're not, this is what you're in danger of. In verse 4 it says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of this coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God and subjecting him to public disgrace. What does that mean? You know, this is probably one of the most debated and hard to, to um, interpret scriptures in the New Testament. There are several views on, on how to interpret verses 4 to 6, and, and, and no view is without its challenges. You know, there, and probably, probably the two main views here this morning are, are the Arminian view, which says true believers can lose their salvation if they fall away from Christ. Believers can grow cold little by little, and ultimately find themselves with no desire to return to Christ and eventually walk away. Jeremy Taylor, who was a scholar from the 17th century, said this, First, it, start, it startles him, speaking of sin. Then it becomes pleasing, then delightful, then frequent, then habitual, then confirmed. Then the man is unremorseful and obstinate, and then resolve never to repent, and then damned. Pretty strong words. The challenge with, with, with this view, which many of us hold, is when does a person come to the point of no return? And if a believer can truly be lost... Our, our text would indicate that it's impossible for them to return to salvation. And then what about the texts in Scripture like John 6, 39 and 40 and Romans 8, 28, where it would indicate that, that a true believer can't be lost? Then there are many that would... Uh, um, interpret this scripture that that what the author is talking to here in verses 4 to 6 is is false believers. In other words, those who, who are associated with the church and its blessings, but, but aren't truly saved. They, they were never really saved. They were in the church. They were active. They looked the part, but, but in the end, they were never really saved. So the challenge here is that, first of all, if you look at verses 4 to 6, it seems like he's describing true believers, not false believers. And, and why would the author pile up all of these terms that are in here if he were describing false believers? And if they weren't truly saved, then what was there to fall away from? And how can they be renewed to repentance if they never really repented in the first place? And so, 
There are challenges with these. But rather this morning than trying to answer this age-old question of were they saved or not, which causes lots of debate, and, and I hope that next week in your ABF you don't spend your whole time talking about whether they were Christians or non-Christians, whether they were saved or not saved. Because in the end, whether you believe that they were saved and walked away and lost their salvation, or whether you believe they were never saved, their eternal state is the same. Their eternity is hell. And so let's not get caught up in the debate of what they were, but, but let's ask the hard questions. And maybe you need to be asking yourself the hard questions. You know, so whether you're a person that's been here for six months or six years, you've heard the word preached. You've been, as he says, Paul, as the writer says, you've been enlightened. Maybe you've tasted the heavenly gift. You've, you've shared in the Holy Spirit. And yet, maybe you've never truly believed you're in danger. Or, or, or maybe you're that person that, that at one point believed but have walked away and have no interest in Jesus. Yeah, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, gives us this warning. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. So he say, look, you need to examine yourself. Look at your heart. And he says, test yourselves. It says, do not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? And then he says, unless, of course, you fail the test. Have you examined yourself? Do you know that you are, as Paul said, that Christ Jesus lives in you. Have you lost interest or have you never truly believed? Because in either case, you're in danger of eternity in hell. And it's a warning for us. It's a warning for those who grow up in church and never believe, or a warning for those who have believed and, and, and then have, have, have given up. And what he's saying is, look, to give up Christ, who sacrificed himself on the cross, and to go back to the pleasures of the world, he says, is to re-crucify Christ. See, when a person chooses against Christ and turns back to the ways of the world, he says, in effect, that, that the world is worth more than Christ. My experience in the world, the stuff of the world, are worth more than Jesus is. I don't care that he died on the cross. I don't care about the power of Christ. 
I don't care about the promises that we have in Christ or the love of Christ. I'm going back to the world. I agree with those that crucified Jesus. And what could shame Christ more than that person who said they believed and then turned their backs on Jesus and walked away for the things of the world? He says, we crucify Christ if we do that. And in that, we put Christ to a public shame. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I in relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you've, you've come to church your whole life or, or if, you're, if you're a regular here or you do good stuff. I'm asking, do you know? Are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you are the writer would say, then, then there's evidence. There's evidence of your maturity. Because you see, genuine salvation is always accompanied with visible evidence. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a follower of Christ? That's what he's talking about in verses 6 and 7. He says, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, that produces a crop useful for those who have farmed it, received a blessing from God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed, and in the end will be burned up. So, so what, what, which one of those verses describes your life? As you've had the blessing, the reign of Jesus come upon you, the blessings of, of, of church and, and of the word of God, is it, is it fruit? Is your life producing fruit? Or are they simply thorns and thistles that the author says will be burned up? Because in our, in our walk with Christ. When we become followers, there is evidence of my maturity. My granddaughter, there's evidence that she's growing. You know, every time I see her, She's growing. She's doing something new. She's doing something different. There's evidence there that she's growing. If, if there would be no evidence, then it would be cause for concern. And as followers of Christ, if there's no evidence of maturity, 
there's cause for concern. And the writer goes on in verse 9. He says, look, even though I speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. He's saying, look, most of you, I'm confident I'm confident in your salvation because I see. He says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. He said, I want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. In order to make your hope sure. He says, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through who faith, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. He could see their lives changing. He could see them, and what he's talking about here, he could see the way they were interacting and the way that they were walking with and blessing and fellowshipping with the body of Christ, with other believers. How are you blessing, encouraging, challenging the rest of the believers here. Or is coming here about you? About you getting your fix every Sunday of good worship and of preaching and of having a good cup of coffee and some good fellowship um, very superficial, but having fellowship and then going home and going about life. Is it about you? Because the author would say, genuine repentance, relationship with Christ, there's evidence there that it's not all about you. He would say it's about investing in the lives of of other believers. He says, you've shown as you've helped his people, that's the body of Christ, and continue to help them. I want you to show that diligence to the very end. I want you to keep that up. I want you to keep that up. I don't want you to be lazy in your faith. And I fear sometimes that we've become lazy and consumed with ourselves and our needs when 
we should be looking around and asking, how do I bless the body of Christ? How do I invest myself in the body of Christ? You see, as, as mature believers, we should be looking for those who are new in their faith those who have come to Christ, and we should take them by the hand, and we should say, as Paul said, come follow me as I follow Christ. Let me ask you, do you have that person that you have taken by the hand and said, come on, follow me. Let's do this together. Let's follow Christ together. I've been where you're at. I'm a new believer. I was a new believer once, but as I grow, I've learned some things. Jesus has shown me some things that I want to show you. We have this idea that when somebody accepts Christ, that they should just be able to do it on their own. They should be able to grow in their faith and and become mature followers of Christ on their own. It's sort of like, I'm reading this book called Swimming Lessons, and and the author says that the way that we view discipleship is when somebody comes to faith, it's sort of like that guy. I remember years ago, I don't know if Dave Barkman is here or not, but but he wanted to learn how to swim, and and um, we were the young marriage back at that time, so you can tell how many years ago that was. He wanted to learn how to swim, and so... Some of, the, some of the guys said, well, just jump in the water and you'll be able to swim. That was bad advice. But that's the way that we, that's the way that we approach new believers. Jump in. You should be able to make it on your own. If you don't, sorry. Sorry about your luck. And lots of people fall away because nobody ever invested in them. But a swimming instructor, a real swimming instructor, which those guys weren't swimming instructors, they will take time first to teach their student how to float. First they teach them how to float on their back. And once they're comfortable floating on their back, they'll turn them over and they'll teach them how to float on their stomach. Then they'll teach them how to put their head underwater. And slowly they walk with them until this student can begin to swim and and, and learns how to, and he becomes more developed and, and pretty soon he becomes a really good swimmer. Actually, he becomes so good, he can start jumping off the diving board. Because somebody has invested in that person to teach them how to swim. Brothers and sisters, we have got to understand that. First, we have to ask the question, am I in the faith? That's the first question we have to ask. Do I know Jesus? And if that answer is yes, I do, you have to ask the question, what's the evidence? And if there's evidence that, that you're in the faith, that means you're, you're serving, you're, you're, you're working in the body of Christ. 
but also as a mature believer, you are taking people by the hand and you're saying, come follow me. What if everybody here who is a believer, a follower of Christ and maturing in their faith would grab somebody by the hand and say, come, follow me. And we're going to do an evangelism series um, in, in, in October and November. But evangelism is followed up by discipleship. You see, all of us should be engaging people in conversation, in relationship with, with the idea of, of sharing Jesus, the one who died for my sins, the one who, who made it possible for me to have eternal life, the one who has transformed me, and we begin to share those truths. And the day they come to faith in Christ is the day that, that the real work begins and I begin to walk with them and, and teach them and, and show them there's something really beautiful about a new believer. The innocence and the questions they have, they challenge us and they help us to grow as, as the mentors, as the disciples. Are we doing that? And I fear not the way we should. I, I know not the way we should. And I ask myself, what is, what is my responsibility? Where, where, where am I? Who am I? Who is God inviting me to say, come, follow me? So I think what we need to wrestle with today is examining ourselves, seeing where we're at in our faith. And as, as, as God begins to reveal things to us, as you have the Holy Spirit living in you, if you ask, he will begin to reveal things to you, show you what you need to do. My prayer is that we would begin to be obedient in doing what he asks us to do. Now that's going to mean that I need to clear my schedule a little bit of my stuff, of my activity. Doesn't mean you have, you're not allowed to. I love riding bike. Doesn't mean I have to quit riding bike. It just mean, it means I can't be obsessed with that. There's nothing wrong with playing volleyball or softball or football. Or, it's just, is it obsessing me? And is, is it keeping me from doing what God's word tells me to do. Because if it is, it's sin. It's become an idol in my life. 
Let's, this author says some really hard stuff in this passage. It's for us to wrestle with. And so wrestle with that today. Tomorrow, next week. What evidence is there that I am a follower of Christ? And what things do I need to change? I think Keith asked you this question last week. What things do I need to do to change and mature in my faith? This is hard stuff, but necessary. Examine yourself to see if you're in the way. Make sure. Then grow. Then look for somebody to take by the hand and lead them. That's what maturity is. Let me pray for you. Let me ask, look, if you're here this morning, um, and he said, you know, as I've examined myself, I realize that I'm not in the way. Christ is not important to me. This morning you want to make him important. You can do that. You want to make him Lord? You can do that. I just want you to close your eyes and I want, look, if you this morning or that person says, you know what? I've never made Jesus Lord. I'd love to pray for you. Father, this morning I just pray for this body of believers. Lord, that every one of us, everyone individually, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking to and showing us our spiritual reality. Lord, I, I pray that you would show us through, through pictures in our mind. I pray that you would show us through your words. I pray that you would show us through other people. Father, I pray through your spirit that we would be honest with ourselves this morning. And Father, that as we see our reality, that you would show us next steps. Father, you would give us courage to take those next steps whether it's coming to Christ or, 
or, or getting rid of things that we need to prune out of our lives. Give us the courage and the strength to do so. Not fearing, Lord, I pray that there will be no fear of man as we take steps. Father, that we would begin to desire and be confident in walking with other people. And through all of this, Lord, you would be glorified. Evidence of you living in us would glorify yourself. Father, as we leave this place today, let's pray for your blessing on these people. Lord, as we go and have a weekend, long weekend, lots of activity, keep us safe as we travel on roads and as we get together. But Father, as we gather together, with family and friends over picnics and activities. Give us a heart, Jesus, for those that don't yet know you. Whether it's a brother or a sister or a friend or a parent, a co-worker. Lord, break our hearts for our network of people who don't yet know you. Give us courage to walk out our faith every day in a way that brings you honor and glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, uh, have a great Labor Day weekend. Enjoy this last weekend of summer. Be safe. Blessings.